0: I'm Kevin and Nick and this is SEO in 2023.
1: Kevin, what's your number one SEO tip for 2023? My number one tip
0: is to index facets as an e-commerce site or as a large aggregator site. And so let me expand a little bit on, on what I mean by that. So faceted indexing has been a bit of a, a, a controversial topic in SEO, especially in, in e-commerce for the last couple of years. But what I've seen is that if large e-commerce sites can index targeted facets, meaning something like blue t-shirts, in the right, under the right circumstances, they can significantly increase the organic traffic and the revenue from organic
1: traffic as well. So is there not a danger that these pages could be perceived as thin content or not offering a great deal of additional value? That's exactly the crunch point,
0: right? Uh, when we talk about facets, there's a high overlap between the facet and the uh, root or the canonical URL. However, there are instances where long tail versions of the shorthand keyword uh, have a lot of search volume, and there's not a lot of competition for these long tail versions. And so there is an opportunity to go after them with facets of a category, for example, or a subcategory. Mm. And the art is in really making the content on the facets relevant. There are two ways to do that. One is by the product selection. So you wanna make sure that the narrower the, the category is filtered to create that facet, uh, you want to make sure that it, it really uh, reflect, or the product section really reflects the, the filters that are relevant for the facet. Number two is the content on the facets. And so what I noticed is that some of the best e-commerce companies that use that strategy, they add a little bit of unique content, mostly in the form of text to that faceted category page uh, to make sure that Google understands that this page is relevant for a slightly different keyword or a variation of the keyword than the
1: canonical category. So how do you identify then the faceted search pages that you actually want to index? Yeah, that's that's really the question here. Uh, and the way you do that is,
0: number one is you want to drag all the keywords that are important to you. Number two is you want to group them by category. And then number three, you want to look at long tail and short head keywords in that specific category. And the the, the signal for you to decide whether you want to create a a faceted category and, and let Google index that faceted category is to see who is ranking for what. So if you see the same competitors ranking for short head keywords in the same category and for long tail keywords with the same page, that is a signal to not create a faceted category version. However, if you notice that the same sites that rank for the shorthead keywords of a category are not ranking for the long tail version of that keyword, that would be the signal to create a facet and let Google index it. And so the the kind of meta point or the the, the key to being successful in that is to have the technical ability to create facets and decide when Google indexes them or not. And this in many cases is a rather manual effort, but there are ways to automate that, and companies that are able to
1: automate that have a huge competitive advantage uh, compared to the others. Yeah, okay, I was just about to ask you if it could be automated, but then you said it's a rather manual effort. Is it not something that can be completely automated, or are you always going to be able to do it to a higher standard on a manual basis? It's a great question. It is possible to automate it with the right set of tools and you'll probably
0: have to build a custom logic, but if you can monitor short and long tail keywords or short head and long tail keywords for your most important categories and who ranks for them on a regular basis, and I think the at minimum you wanna probably monitor this on the weekly cadence, if not maybe even daily, if you can get that type of, uh, of, of infrastructure going, and tie that to the creation and indexation of facets, that's a powerful way to automate this, but it will probably take some sort of a a data lake and some sort of an intelligence that brings all of these uh, strings of data together and then is attached to the CMS to say, okay, now we wanna create a facet or let Google index the facet and now we don't. But there are companies that do this very successfully.
1: Okay, and you also talked about styling them as categories. So what are the key style elements that are commonly associated with category pages that you want to ensure that you use with these faceted pages? Great question. Number one is a selection of products, obviously
0: related to the category or subcategory and related to the filter. So if your facet is for blue t-shirts, you want to make sure all t-shirts are really blue and there isn't a white one. Uh, that is an important criteria. And then more filter and search functionality for the users what often happens is that even through facets users come on this category page and they they still browse around or they filter until they have the right product so you don't just want to make this a kind of landing pages with no more filter options you really want to make sure it's a category page where users can keep exploring what what the right product is for them and how do you ensure that google finds them that is the uh, key question i would suggest um several things one is internal linking so ideally you have some form of internal linking for several facets. It could be something like a other users also bought or complementary uh, products to the ones that users are already looking at. And then the second thing are XML sitemaps. Um, ideally, you create a unique XML sitemap specifically for facets. And then as a third tool, you can play around with HTML sitemaps, a uh, little bit of a of an old school internal linking trick that still works very well in my mind. And if you can get indexed or open facets into an HTML sitemap rather quickly, that can help Google find these uh, pages that might not be accessible before.
1: Okay, uh, what's the best practice for content on these pages? Is it all just about good UX, or do you have to have a a, a reasonable amount of relatively unique content in these pages as well?
0: You know, reality shows that unique text on category pages still helps Google to better understand the relevance of that category uh, I still deem it necessary but the question is really what type of content is important and how much content is important and what I've seen that uh, is that for for facets um, especially because they often go after longer tail keywords you don't need as much content but a couple of sentences might be helpful and I would usually suggest that especially in the, in the case of e-commerce to make make it very buyer guide focused and really focus, really home in on how can you, what additional information can you provide to users that helps them make a better choice. One example could be about the material of the product and how there are differences, for example, especially in the case of clothing, but also in the the case of of makeup, for example, or cosmetics, you can uh, provide a bit of context around what types of skin resonate best with this product, right? So there, there are all sorts of ways you can provide Uh, 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 information that's helpful. And that doesn't always have to end in a wall of text. It can sometimes also just be one very elegant paragraph that gets users just the right amount of information to make the right choice.
1: You talked about ending in a wall of text. Is it completely satisfactory to have the text underneath the items that you're selling on the page? Or is it better, more effective for search engines to have the text above them? Yeah, it's a great question. You know, I, I'm not
0: sure if the verdict is out on that one. Uh, I've worked at or with previous companies where it was fine to have the text at the bottom of the page, but I find that it, it more and more uh, users are used to scroll and to explore a page. And in my mind, if the text is really helpful and provides that extra amount of information, it should maybe live at the top of the page or it should live on the side of the page. The challenge is that I haven't yet seen enough A-B tests of different placements of text for me to say, this is the the perfect way to do it or that always works. Reality is different placements work, but in my mind, if the text, there's also versions where you have a little bit of text at the top and then a, a bit more at the bottom and you allow users to 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 click a button that leads them to the to the to the bottom of the page right so i think we can be more creative with that and i'm i'm yet i'm still like waiting for kind of the body of research that tells me that uh
1: one version is better than the other So I'm sure that many e-commerce sites not currently taking advantage of this. Some of them may have millions of pages and thinking, wow, I could actually create a much bigger SEO footprint by doing this and doing this strategically. But perhaps they're tempted by automating everything, including the creation of content um, using AI. What are your thoughts on the creation of content using AI? You have to have really good inputs. It is certainly possible, but the quality has to be high. I don't
0: think that just because it's AI that the content is has to be of lower quality, but reality is that a lot of companies or people who use AI to generate content need to spend the necessary time to vet and edit it to make sure that it really has a high standard and, and, and really is, of, is, is usable easy to read and of high quality. But if that's given, then I don't see a problem with automating content generation, especially when you, you know, have kind of several inputs for every category and then want to create a lot of context uh, or content better set for uh, lots of different categories, totally possible. But um, again, inputs have to be right and the output has to be of high quality, which typically is the result of good input. So it all depends on where you start and what, what kind of information you have available to create that content.
1: Now, I guess the counter argument to doing this as a strategy would be that um, Google are getting cleverer at um, determining which section of a web page is most relevant to a particular query and perhaps driving that user to that section. So surely as Google gets better and better at doing that, then the need to create these very small niche faceted search pages um, will actually become less so over time um, because we can just create these big pages with different sections on them. We can, uh, absolutely. And and there are
0: trade-offs also in terms of performance, which in e-commerce has a, a much, much higher importance than in, say, SaaS or in other types of, of SEO. But you you know th- there are trade-offs in terms of internal linking, in terms of performance, core web vitals, all these kind of things, and also user experience. So it's actually very interesting how some of the, the biggest players in the world do that. When you look at Amazon, for example, they do index a lot of search pages that sometimes seem to be overlapping in user intent or in in product. but. Google is able to understand that there are fine differences that provide a much better experience for users. So I would say that you that there could be a world in which very large categories rank for all sorts of long tail queries as well. And yet at the same time, it seems to be that this is getting harder and harder because um, there are a lot of players that successfully create very targeted, narrow filtered pages to hit exactly what the users are looking for. So a bit of a trade off, but I think the the best in the game, just test one against the other and then make a, a data driven decision.
1: OK, and, and finally on this, uh, I think one additional challenge may be the fact that um, because there are so many, perhaps million pages being created on a semi-automated basis, um, it's a challenge to create friendly URLs for search engines and for users as well, because there are so many subsections the d- d- different choices that um, pages could be built out of. How important are, are short and descriptive URLs nowadays for these pages?
0: In the context
1: of the content, the user experience, things like Core Web
0: Vitals, price delivery, I think URLs are less important than say five or 10 years ago but of course you still want to aim for creating a taxonomy that makes sense that is short and to the point i think working with uh, subdirectories or scaling with subdirectories is kind of the way to go here also because they translate into breadcrumbs which uh, can be shown in rich snippets and just give users a little bit more of a you know feeling of whether they are at the right address or not but i think it really depends on how large the site is and, and what the scale mechanisms are and how many facets you want to index, right? So to me, it's all about kind of a, a very iterative approach, not kind of, you know, indexing hundreds of thousands of pages overnight, but small experiments, small steps, seeing how that goes, if it goes well, you know, go a bit more. Uh, and I feel the same way about the the site structure or or friendly URLs, you know, I, I, would, I would not build this huge construct of a million pages and then, you know, go to war with that. But I would start with categories, build more subcategories, then build out facets. And so it's, it's, it's kind of like a slowly iterative approach that hopefully allows it to kind of like rein in these type of problems of too long URLs or so. Uh, so I, I'm a big fan of this kind of step-by-step
1: approach. Great advice. Well, you've shared what SEO should be doing in 2023. So now let's talk about what SEOs shouldn't be doing. So what's something that's seductive in terms of time, but ultimately counterproductive? What's something that SEOs shouldn't be doing in 2023? Sales shouldn't
0: be going after two competitive keywords that they have no chance ranking for. And the reason I'm saying that is it's it's very juicy to see some of these short head keywords or even sometimes mid tail keywords that have a lot a lot of search volume, a lot of potential traffic, but are highly competitive. And the problem that I see with that is that going after these type of terms and not ranking well for them can mean that you lose a lot of trust and credibility, especially in-house, but also as a, as a consultant or within an agency, because you create all these expectations and high hopes with your customers or stakeholders, but then don't deliver on the promise. And you typically need a lot of firepower to compete for these you know, juicy short keywords. So in my mind, What SEOs shouldn't do is to just, you know, kind of jump the gun and and go after these super competitive keywords. And what they should do instead is develop a very, very good understanding of what keywords they are eligible for and where they can rank, maximize that potential, and then almost like a pyramid, build on top of that and iterate towards these competitive keywords instead of going after them right away. It's kind of a rookie mistake in my mind that I've made in the past and that I want to save others from from making. But again, it costs a lot of credibility and trustworthiness internally, externally as well, and can, can go as far as you know not getting funding in the future or, or maybe even losing a client. So that would be my, my number one tip of what not to do.
1: Well, that might have worked um, if it was SEO in 2003, but we're talking about SEO in 2023, so absolutely spot on. Kevin Indeg is a growth advisor and former director of SEO at Shopify, and you can find him over at kevin indegcom Kevin, thanks so much for being part of SEO in 2023. Thanks for having me, David. As always, a pleasure. Get your copy of SEO in 2023, the book, over at seoin2023.com.